0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the POMA podcast. Great to be with you all again. I'm delighted to welcome back um, for I think the sixth time um, my my great friend um, Dr. Kate Hendricks Thomas. Um, welcome back.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure to chat with you.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, it really is. Kate is um, Kate knows a lot of stuff about the brain and how our brains work and. Um, Mental illness and all these kind of things She's got a lot of expertise And um, we've had some great conversations already And I think we're going to have another one tonight So, um, yeah Um, And she's got a new book coming out Which we'll talk about a bit later as well Um, So we're going to talk about the brain today And we're going to talk about trauma And we're going to talk about um, mental illness And um, unlearning and relearning new things so, Absolutely. So yeah, um so, so just just start by telling us about this book, what uh, what this new book is about.
1: Well, uh the focus of all my work, you know, for the last couple of decades has been resilience building, mental fitness training, kind of flipping the script on the conversation of mental illness and talking about mental health promotion. And along that line, that's what Bulletproofing the Psyche focuses on. It focuses on the ways that we can promote mental well-being by buttressing our social support, by taking care of our physical bodies, by thinking about our spirituality, our spiritual fitness, um, by being civic engaged and involved. And I was so honored to work on this project, honestly, because we got to pull in contributors from a variety of fields. I'm a public health a researcher, and so I, I, you know, I spend a lot of time with social workers and public health professionals who are interested in mm. both post-incident treatment and prevention, but we got to work with sociologists and anthropologists and, and practitioners um, who all have something to say about this notion that we can promote mental health wherever we fall on the spectrum, and that's really the emphasis of bulletproofing the psyche is specific tactics, specific techniques best practices for bringing uh, peak mental performance to the everyday life
0: wow awesome awesome um, so yeah I mean I've, I've um, lots of experience of mental health uh, mental illness myself um, with anxiety and um, and there may be I may be on the I may be on the autistic spectrum as well it's a possibility although it's not being diagnosed Um, um Yeah, so what I've, and I've been on a bit of a journey the last couple of years of uh, of dealing with a lot of trauma from my past and um, going through a lot of healing and forgiveness and therapy to deal with a lot of this stuff. And what, one thing that I've actually noticed is that I've had to unlearn a lot of things and start learning new habits. You know, I mean, I've kind of, the, the trauma itself, in a sense, I've kind of, dealt with that part of it but the but the behaviors related to it that I've trained my brain to uh to to live by are still there um and so I've got I've had to unlearn I'm, I'm, I'm having to unlearn a lot of behaviors now how can we people people like me and, and there's lots of other people in my position or in even more challenging positions than me um how can we go about unlearning old behaviours so that we can start to learn new behaviours and more healthy behaviours?
1: Uh, well, first of all, I think one of the most important things is, is what you just said. Specifically understanding that changing behaviour is different than processing trauma. There's no, there's no switch flip. When it comes to human behavior change, I mean, what you said is exactly, exactly right. Human behavior change—you um, know—the rewiring of these neural patterns requires uh, what I like to think of as daily practice, rigorous, regular training, and that's kind of what bulletproofing the psyche is about. It's about mental fitness training. So the practices, what works for what works for you, implemented into daily practice repeated over time so that a new a new behavior becomes a habit and then eventually can become lifestyle and and be who you are and how you do in the world but the first thing i think is just realizing that that's the case and giving ourselves a little bit of grace and mm-hmm. a little bit of understanding that Uh, What we're talking about is a rudder steer and a a slow and steady progression. I feel like when we talk about mental fitness training and spiritual fitness training, we We often talk about it in terms of, okay, we need to fix a mental health condition of some sort. Mm. And yet when we talk about physical fitness training, we're talking about long-term programs to make some kind of desired change when really our brain is no different than any other muscle in our body. If Mm. you want to rewire that circuitry, you're going to have to do the same daily repetitive training. And what I find with people is because we don't culturally prioritize and value this, it's easy to blow off it's Mm. easy to look at it as woo woo as nice to have as luxury item type stuff
0: Mm.
1: um and it's easy to to let it slide on the priority list
0: absolutely right um one of the things I've noticed going through this process has been that I actually went to a darker place um having to deal with all this trauma um Mm -hmm. You know, and I ended up putting on weight because that's one of my coping mechanisms. And I got had some really, really dark nights of the soul, very, very low mood, very depressed. Um, but I kind of came through it um, because I was working with um, a therapist, working with a spiritual director, working with a, co- a mindset coach. I'm still working with them. Um, and talking to them through this process managed to get me through it you know and um as well as having a good support network around me as well which is really really important i would say um but i started to but i but i actually started to deal with the trauma and i've done the work but i had to go to the dark place to do it and now i wouldn't i don't regret that at all because um i've dealt with a lot of stuff that a lot of people a lot older than me have never dealt with um because we carry a lot of this stuff around with us a whole lives and just think it's normal um and we deal with my my, my perspective is that a lot of us deal with the symptoms rather than dealing with the actual problem and when you deal with the actual problem then you can start to unlearn the symptoms properly and start to learn healthier behaviors so is that, does that sound right
1: Absolutely. And uh, I really like the work of Bessel van der Kolk, and uh, he talks about the issues staying in our tissues. So if you have, say, unmanaged stress or unprocessed trauma, what might just be anxiety or irritability in the short term is going to become a more serious health concern down the road if you don't manage and process those things. So being willing, willing to walk, I keep plagiarizing your phrases today, but being willing to walk into the dark night, you know, to, to do the processing and then say, I know that's not the end point. Now I'm ready to do the daily repetitive work of mental fitness training to bring my best self to each and every day because that's what I want to do. Just as we prioritize making it, you know, making it outside to go for a walk every now and again to keep our hearts healthy, we have to keep our brains healthy. We have to keep our souls healthy. And uh, I'm very passionate about trying to make people understand that it is a practice. It's something long term and it's something that has to become a priority I it's I don't like to use the phrase self-care but it's the most important baseline self-regulatory practice self-care practice that a person can do for their overall health and their Mm. ability to interact with other people
0: yeah yeah so how do you so you you've worked with a lot of uh, military guys and doing this work am I correct?
1: Yes. Well, I I got out of the Marine Corps and I did none of the things that I currently teach people how to do. I processed nothing. I, uh, I embraced all kinds of maladaptive coping mechanisms. If we call excessive drinking a maladaptive coping mechanism, I should probably just call it what it is. And I was a disaster. I was an absolute disaster. And I finally physically injured myself and I was on a physical therapist table. And I realized that I had to start looking at things a little more carefully. I had to start doing things differently. There were some issues that I needed to deal with, and then I needed to take a more balanced approach to the daily practices of my own wellness. What were my spiritual practices? I had none anymore. Um, what were what was my social support like? You talk about your community. I had none. I had shut people out because I thought there was an us and there was a them. And you know what were my self-regulatory practices and drinking a bottle of wine alone does not count as a self-regulatory practice. Mm. <laughs> so I had to I had to process and then I had to get on the bandwagon and, and revamp those things. Uh, and along the way, because I'm academically inclined and I like to, if I'm going to do something, I want to know the science behind it. I started studying the why and just understanding the way that repetitive behavior changes our brain to me is so empowering and so exciting exciting and it made me want to do healthier things more frequently. When I realized that taking three minutes for controlled breath work in the morning changed the size and the the speed of the synaptic firing in the front of my brain, all of a sudden that was motivation for me to do it. It became worth doing. It wasn't something so easily uh, ignored on my to-do list.
0: Three minutes, really?
1: Yeah, three minutes twice a day over six weeks, I can see that under a functional MRI. It changes your brain. I can see a difference.
0: It's so exciting. Wow, that's amazing. And it's, it's a
1: short time investment, right? I mean, that's yeah, what makes people do so jazzed.
0: You can do that Get when you get up in the morning and just like, yeah, it takes three minutes is nothing, you know. It's, yeah. It expands
1: your working memory capacity and that changes your ability to focus, your ability to do complex thinking and your ability to relate to other people. So there's this positive feedback cycle that happens mm. because you're smarter, you're more focused, you're more efficient, but you're also nicer. So you're buttressing, you're bringing social support to you because you're interacting more effectively with other people. And literally all of that can be seen under a functional MRI. We can see as you do more of those good good and healthy things we can watch your brain develop just like a bicep
0: wow wow so to me
1: that makes me want to do it everybody's got their own motivations but i like knowing the science of why something's good for me now
0: i'm fascinated with the brain i'm fascinated with the science of the brain which is really strange because when i was a kid i wasn't really into science at all but now i'm just like especially when it comes to like either like the brain or anything to do with the universe, you know, um, atomic science, you know, either of those things, I'm just like blown away by it because it's real. And it's just, just, we don't, we're barely scraping the surface of of what there is to know, you know, and it's right. uh, fascinating. Um, so how have you used this in your work with in, in your kind of work outside? I mean, practically speaking.
1: Well, it depends on who I'm working with. Um, a couple of years ago, I would say I did a lot of work with law enforcement and military uh, people who were dealing with stress injury and depression and really um, working with issues of stigma around mental illness. And with communities, really every community deals with mental illness stigma, but the military and law enforcement communities are probably among the most uh, serious that pain is weakness uh, in terms of cultural norms. And... I found that talking about an individual's ability to change their mental health status through behavioral practices, I found that that worked better with military and law enforcement than trying to talk them into therapy or medication, although those are important things that maybe they will embrace at some point if need be. um, I think taking the more asset-based approach was really important, Um, but today... A lot of the work that I do involves um, corporate executives, and these are people who are looking to take good performance to great performance. They're trying to hone and finesse and get even better at, at what it is they do. Mm. And so that's a little bit of a different language.
0: Yeah, it must be. Um, and you're seeing and you're seeing positive results as well. In terms of what you're oh, doing.
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So you can measure this sort of thing. I, I think having measurable results is incredibly important for motivation. Mm. Um, you can do this simply in your own life today, you can do three minutes of breath work in the morning, and that's kind of a, a deep breathing, relaxation-producing breathing. You can do that in the morning and the evening. And over six weeks, you can chart how you're feeling in terms of focus, anxiety, and um general empathy and connection with other people see if that changes your stress reactivity that's one way to get feedback but what's really exciting is to get actual biofeedback to actually Mm. um see somebody's cortisol level change change over time to see somebody's uh to see the front of someone's brain expand or light up differently over time that's really exciting
0: work yeah yeah it must be um so I wanted to. Another question I had was about um, wounds that we psychological wounds, like trauma. Um, I had a I had a I had a major trauma when I was a teenager, um, growing up with my parents and getting bullied and alcoholism in my home, um, and then losing my mum uh, not long after that. And um, I had an experience nearly a year ago where i was watching a movie and um something about that movie and it was called um, me before you um and something about that movie at the end when he writes when she's been trying to save him um from committing suicide because he's paraplegic you know and he um and she she can't and um then she then after his death he writes her a letter and just tells her to get on with her life and you know frees her to to kind of live the life that 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 he wants her to live that she's always wanted to live and I was in tears because you know it felt like my mum was writing that letter to me um and so I had a bit of a cry and then but there was a delayed reaction after I finished after I'd kind of stopped crying and um I was getting up to go out or whatever and suddenly I felt this physical pain inside of me like almost like I was and I sat down it was like an, I was like it was like I was exercising something like exorcising something physically I was like like this like I was like leaning on leaning over on my chair kind of like doing the thing doing the physical thing that you would do when you were crying but it wasn't just crying it was like a physical pain was coming out of me like could feel a physical pain in my chest and in my stomach and like yeah, uh, you know, and it was just—it was like it was coming out of me, almost from nowhere. It was like there was this wound, this physical wound inside my body that had just been—that was getting healed or getting accessed. Um, and it occurred to me that maybe some of the wounds that we have, which you think are just psychological and in our, you know, in our brains, are actually there's a physical element to them inside of us. And I just wondered what you, what you thought of that.
1: Well. Um the story that you share, I've, I've certainly heard the work of Bessel van der Kolk and Peter Levine, people like that who are somatic psychologists, Halle Corey, um, they would agree with you 100%. And what they would say is that when something is an emotional wound, um, it's, it's held at such a base level of our, of our brain that it's actually held in our bodily tissues. And sometimes you can't cognitively, you can't talk your way to that emotional wound. You have to feel your way to that emotional wound. So maybe it's a movement practice. Maybe it's some kind of emotional exploration practice, which it sounds like this movie accidentally was for you. I read that book and cried my head off and then watched the movie on a plane, which is a mistake because I cried my head Mm. off in public, Mm. which is always embarrassing. (laughs) Great movie. You had an accidental emotional exploratory experience, but there are a lot of somatic psychology professionals who would say some of the most important work that happens with their clients is that body based healing work.
0: Yeah. Well that's interesting to know because I, I I really did feel like something was happening in terms of my, my healing and um something had broken through which wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to access by simply talking to somebody. Um I had Exactly been talk- I mean I had been talking to somebody about that topic which had kind of probably given a root in, but then I had to. It was the, it was the emotion of it which, unlocked it, which unlocked the kind of, the pain I'd been storing up. Um, exactly, exactly. And
1: um, and, and Van Der Kol- Dr. Vanderkolk's book is called "The Body Keeps Score." and he literally oh, um, talks bit. about decades of work with clients unlocking emotional distress that they couldn't get to via talk therapy. Um, and that's what Bulletproofing the Psyche is focused on. It's focused mm. on how can somatic practices, body-based practices, how can those make a difference in the way our brains function and operate? Uh, because it's incredibly powerful.
0: Well, that sounds really fascinating. Um... So going back to the book, um, in the book you talk about you talk about some methods, some stories um, of mental fitness training that you've done. Um, so just just kind of talk us through in a bit more detail. Tell I mean share one of those stories with us. An example of of, of where you've done this and how it's been successful with somebody.
1: Well. Um one of the one of the things you have to figure out is where somebody is in terms of readiness stage for embracing a mental fitness training practice so if somebody has a need for clinical counseling and clinical intervention that's different than doing this type of work. And I just want to kind of throw that out that out there and stipulate that clearly. Um, but we actually, I worked with a small team of researchers and practitioners, and we got a grant to do this three-day immersion retreat that had some um, – some actual instruction and workshops on managing stress and learning about kind of the science of the science of health, uh, that actually had meditation and yoga instruction, and then had all of these team building activities to kind of create social support within the cohort that was going through the training and the results, the, the short, the short term, meaning immediately after the retreat, and then 90 days after the retreat, um, where participants were able to continue on with a coach uh, in their small group, they were able to continue with a coach. The results from that were significantly, practically and statistically significant difference in levels of people's resilience and self-reported mental well-being. So one of the things that I think is so Great about mental fitness and resilience is that you can teach somebody how to implement this in their daily life. And everybody's going to pick and choose something different. You know, maybe maybe the spiritual resilience components really speak to someone. And for someone else, it's about the nervous system regulation. It's the, the meditation, the breath work, the yoga, the calming down. And for some other people, it's realizing that they're very, very lonely and they need more social support in their life. And for others who are overachievers, they try to do a combination of all of it and they take up journaling and, and really embrace the notion that improving your mental fitness is a daily practice, but we've had success, um, with all kinds of groups of people. And typically because I'm not a clinical counselor, I very rarely work at the individual level, but I usually work in small groups Mm -hmm. because a bedrock principle of my work is social support. And I like to do it at least with couples and partners, preferably with families or, or work groups.
0: Hmm. Wow! It, looks like you've had, it sounds like you've had incredible results to this. It's it's phenomenal, really. The the impact it's had. Now the, there's those there's those three different elements that you talked about. The um, uh, one was the kind of the more kind of physical, the kind of daily practices like the yoga and the the meditation. Uh, another the other one was with the spiritual one, and the other one was dealing with loneliness and getting people into community. So tell us about each of those different. Um, areas and what kind of what practices in in each area that what uh, that that you would recommend to people.
1: Well, the first in bedrock principle is understanding that social support is vital. So looking at your social relationships, cutting out those that are unhealthy and giving time, energy and dedication towards those that are that are healthy and are are promoting greater well-being and accountability. That's your bedrock. um, Incredibly important. And we like to teach people again. It's great to say, hey, you need friends. You don't want to be lonely. But what really convinces people to make social health a priority is learning the science behind it. And and so there's so much really wonderful stuff that, especially in these longer retreats, we can share with people um, so that they understand, literally, this changes your heart health. This changes your brain health. This changes hormone levels in your bloodstream. This is vital stuff. And the second area of emphasis is self-regulation. So understanding the nervous system, the stress response, and figuring out bio-individual ways to calm down your own probably hyperactive nervous system. And we teach people, it's great, to, again, we teach you the science behind these practices, but then we also like to let you try it, right? We'll we'll teach you how to do it and, and we'll do it together and um, um, laugh at one another as we experiment with different practices for achieving th- what we call theta state, down regulation of the nervous system. And mm. finally, Human beings are spiritual creatures and whether you're like me and you come at this from a religious perspective and you believe that religiosity contributes to health or you're a social psychologist coming from a secular perspective and you believe in the notion that humans need to experience transcendence to really be at the top of the Maslow hierarchy, um, humans need to search for meaning and purpose outside of self. And um, exploring spirituality is incredibly important for resilience and well-being. So it depends on how much time you have with people uh, in terms of how you can teach these things. But the quickest and easiest way that I like to, to share is the breath work. The three minutes in the morning, three minutes in the evening. Pull out a journal and track how you feel after you do that for six weeks. See where it takes you next.
0: That's a really, really good I think that's a really really good route in for everybody who's listening because um, I think a lot of people probably a lot of people who are listening like me, you know, have a 9 to 5 job. You know, we have to get up in the morning and you know, go to work and we get home late in the late in the even, late in the afternoon, early evening. Um, and so we don't have time to kind of do a lot of things. I mean, in the morning I get up at I wake up at 6 and have to leave about 7. Yeah, and I've got to have breakfast and get, get dressed and showered and everything. Um in that time. So you barely get time to do a lot of things. And so just that little three minutes breathing in the morning and in the evening with another couple of minutes just journaling, that that's like gold dust I think, to people who are kind of just beginning this journey and also people who are um who have a you have a busy life because a lot of us do. Um right. And I think that's, 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 that's really important. Um, so in terms of like, I mean, talk, there's a lot of people out there who've got, who you know, who've been diagnosed with, with a mental illness, like depression or, um, PTSD or something, or or something like that. Um, how has how have these techniques helped those people? Um,
1: well, they've been, these techniques, these body-based techniques have been used in clinical settings with with patients with anxiety, patients with depression, patients with different degrees of stress injury. Um, they have been... The, the results have been incredibly powerful and very, very successful because at the end of the day, what it becomes about is self-knowledge, self-awareness, self-regulation. Mm. And that's incredibly useful for somebody going through a mental health treatment program. Um, more awareness and more um, kind of mindful control over reactivity is, is a good and a healthy thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing I've learned in the last couple of years is that, uh, I'm sure I had this on another podcast somewhere, uh, from someone who's, who's talking about the science of the brain, and that we might not get to choose that whether we have a mental illness, but we get to choose how we respond to the triggers. Um, so, for example, with me, with anxiety, I might get have something happen or something which triggers my anxiety, I might feel that in my brain, and that might happen, Um but I get to choose how I respond to that and I can train myself how to respond to that in a healthy way, which minimizes the impact for me. Um, and so get more healthy. And I, I, I've, I've been, I'm working on that and I've been working on that for about six months or even a year, maybe. And I'm starting to get to a place where things that would have sent me into a really low depressive spiral a year ago, you know, I'll still get a bit low, but, I'll be able to come out of it a lot better a lot quicker and it won't and I I won't get into those really dark depressive moods because I'll be able I've got the I've somehow done the mental gymnastics exercise I've trained my brain to be more resilient you know to manage my responses to those triggers um and I'd like to think other people can do that as well
1: they can. And what you're sharing is the expansion of your working memory capacity, that front portion of your brain. As you have practiced mindfulness, you've literally changed the way that your reactivity happens. Um, you know, over time, we may even be able to see your amygdala, you know, the, the, the stress reactive portion of your brain, we can see that shrink. So um, you're doing incredibly powerful things. And when you start to see that positive feedback in your own life, realizing, wow, a year ago I would have reacted to that stimuli entirely differently. When you start to feel that it gets exciting because you realize that the investment has been worth it.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it also gives you the confidence to keep going. right and keep working on these on, on these things and keep because there's always more work you can do, I think there's always you can always keep because I've done a lot of work, internal work. The last couple of years but I know I've still got a lot more work to do because when you get to kind of it's like when you get to one threshold then you realize there's more then there's a whole different set of things you need to work on like I might have dealt with a lot of my past and done a lot of forgiveness and and healing and kind of got some more better techniques to manage those depressive moods but there's a lot of bad habits that I still have which are left over like you know overeating and comfort eating and um you know those kind of things i'm still and i need to, i need to work those out i need to and that, I, I recognize that that's something actually that's in my brain it's not just because it's a habit you know right and i'm beginning to re, i'm beginning to become more more aware of that happening in my brain and this need to eat in my brain rather than anything to do with physical need for food and so i'm just at the beginning of that process you know um i've still got a long way to go but but I think now I have more of an awareness of how this is tied to your brain and what your brain does and managing how, you're, how you respond to what your brain does and, um, you know, re re-routing neuro, creating new neuro pathways.
1: Exactly. And that feeling of I can create a new neural pathway to me feels empowering. To mm. me, that feels exciting because then all of a sudden I'm not out of control and emotionally dysregulated. I can do something about that. I can affect change. I can embrace a healthier behavior that's going to change the way this feels in a month, in five months, in a year. Um, so it's really exciting to hear you talking about all the the health practices you have going on and the journey you've been on uh, since we met each other in 2016. I just kudos, sir.
0: Thank you. That's encouraging. It might I mean it absolutely. Be, I mean part of part of part of that has been the conversations that we've had definitely um, they 've had an impact on me um, so um, you know and it must be and it must be really rewarding for you when you see what you are doing having an impact on other people, which when you do these retreats and when you do when you work with people it must um it must give you a think you have to of I
1: have to be careful not to take credit for the hard work that other people do, but I love teaching this stuff. I know that for me it's made the difference between being alone in a basement with you know too much alcohol and being out in the world, teaching and parenting and being happy. So I'm passionate about sharing it. I, I certainly... I can share the science. I can talk about practices. I can coach people in finding their practices. But the hard work you're talking about, that's, you know, that's what individuals do for themselves. Um, yeah. And I, I certainly would never want to take credit for anything any of my students or clients have ever done. But it sure is fun to do it alongside them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. I mean, where is this work taking you next? What's your next... What's your next step in terms of helping people with these challenges and um, finding ways to kind of empower people and and help them get that um, mental fitness? Um, what's What's kind of next for you?
1: Well, I had thought that I would spend most of my time, I'm doing a lot more organizational leadership work, and I thought that was the direction I was headed. But I very recently got diagnosed with breast cancer which has really educated me about this subculture, this world of cancer patients and people that are managing cancers for as long, for as long as, as we have left, we're, we're dealing with and managing this condition. So I have a feeling I'm going to be doing more work in, in this space um, in the future, because wow, you talk about, you talk about a stressful setting. You talk about a time when, um, mental fitness and resilience and um immune system quality is important I, I can't think of a time in my life where it's mattered more
0: mm. yeah well i wish you well i hope how you Thank make how you make a recovery as well that's um obviously i'm sure everyone listening would, would agree um yeah well it sounds like you're doing some really amazing stuff and when when does, when does the book come out and where people where can people get it
1: it comes out in early May It's available um, for pre-order Wherever you buy your books But we've also the, the book has a little website that it lives at It's bulletproofingthepsyche.com So you can watch the trailer And learn more about the work there uh, If you're interested
0: Yeah, well I'll definitely be getting a copy of that And um, yeah, I'm really excited To see people read this book And, uh, and get this Like this healing and this transformation. And yeah, because I, I really believe in it. I really believe this is something that everyone needs to do. Um, and uh, no matter and what And I your did path. not pay
1: you to say that today, no, so thank
0: you. <laughs> no, I believe in it completely. I am, yeah, because I've experienced it, you know, and I've seen it work in my own life. I know that it works. Um, and I want to recommend that to everybody, you know, even if you've not been through a big trauma. Um, or, what you think is a big trauma, there's going to be stuff in there that you need to deal with, and it's just, it really helps you get healthy. So, um, I duck around this book and all of Kate's work. So, um, where can people connect with you? Um, they
1: can find me at drkatethomas.com.
0: Excellent. And you're on Twitter as well, right? As well?
1: Yeah? I am.
0: Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on again. We'll definitely have you back on as well at some point in the future because I'm sure there's loads more that we can talk about so um yeah thanks kate and uh, um i hope everyone here has benefited as much as i have from this conversation so um yeah take care everyone and we'll talk soon